Hey, good morning, everyone. How you guys doing? Good to see you. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church. Um, and my role is I oversee community and family ministries here at Portico. So if you're new, um, Jason Connor, our lead pastor, is not here today. And so I'm filling in for him, as I love to do from time to time. And we are right in the middle of a series going through Romans 8. And in Romans 8, we're learning what it looks like to live life in Christ. And so as we do that, um, we're learning all kinds of things. And this morning, we're going to be in verses 14 through 17. And to really kind of like drop us into the middle of, um, of this passage, I want us to remember something that I think we all have experience with, and that is um, a feeling of being utterly alone and what that actually feels like experientially. Um, there's a show called Alone, by, um, by no mistake, um, where they take these wilderness survival um, people and they drop them into the wilderness completely by themselves and they get like 10 things and it's like, okay, here, go survive for as long as you can. And at the very beginning of the show, they, um, they show them being dropped off and then they video them as the helicopter is going away. And all of them have the same reaction. Their faces just like sink and you can just see in their minds, they're like, what have I done? This is crazy. And I think we all feel this way in different spheres of our lives. Maybe um, for a lot of us it might be when we graduate college and we have our first day of like a real job and we're done with all the training. We've been in school for so long that we um, are really good at school, but then all of a sudden when we have responsibility and something that depends on us getting the job done and there's no one there to help us, you're just like, here, it's on you, you feel alone, inadequate, you feel like an imposter. Or maybe it's as you're kind of climbing the ladder of your job and um, you're now a project manager and you've gone to um, some trainings and have a certification that says, yes, you're a project manager, but then you have your first project and you know, it's a multi-million dollar contract and actually the whole weight of the project is on your shoulders and it's you, you feel somewhat alone. Um, a lot of new parents feel like this. I know I did and continue to. You go to the hospital, you have the baby. I didn't have the baby. <laughs> My wife had the baby. <laughs> and then you spend you know, a couple days at the hospital and there's nurses and doctors helping you and showing you that, what to do. And like, if you do something wrong, they tell you, oh, you did that wrong. And then the day comes where you leave and all of a sudden, you have this new human being that is completely dependent on you, and it's just you. It's like, wow, I feel alone, and I don't know if I can live up to the expectations that are placed on me. This is a really universal human experience, and I think it's like this because we all have kind of this understanding that on our own, by ourselves, we're not enough. And we carry that understanding into, it, it actually really comes from our relationship with God. Because we know intuitively in all of us, we have the sense that we are being judged and that God is looking upon us as a judge. And so in these verses, we're going to see 
how Paul wants us to know that in Jesus Christ, we are brought from the courtroom into the living room, and we're not alone. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us himself to be with us as we do that. So actually, I'm going to do something. We're going to read, even though we're only going to be looking at 14 through 17, this is kind of the, um, the first break in Paul's line of reasoning in Romans 8. So verses 1 through 17 are kind of a cohesive unit. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and, and I might comment on a couple things just so that you can see what he's doing so we can make sense of this whole, um, this whole unit. So I'm going to start reading at Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So notice there, it says, we are debtors. And then Paul kind of counterintuitively only says what we're, debtor, what we're not debtors to. And so here in verse 14, we learn who we are debtors to. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be also glorified with him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, these are wonderful words, and I just ask for help this morning as all of us try to comprehend them. Um, it's, it feels as if we are looking at um, the Grand Canyon or something so magnificent, and then we're trying to put into words what it is that we're seeing. And so, Lord, we need your Spirit to, to make this message real to us 
for us to truly believe that we are not only forgiven, but that you have made us your children and that we inherit a inheritance that was not earned by us, but earned by your perfect and eternal son. God, I ask that you would be with us, that you would help us to believe this and to help us worship you in response. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you get that flow where it starts in the courtroom in Romans 8. And Paul says, for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so the verdict of the courtroom is you are innocent, you are righteous. Those charges do not apply to you. And then you walk out of the courtroom. And as we know, when we do that in our lives things are still kind of bumpy. Like, not everything is rainbows and unicorns after we realize that. We still engage real life, and we still have real questions, we still have real doubts, we still have real fears. And so in in this passage, we see that the desire of God is that in transferring us out of the courtroom into his living room, he wants to comfort us and to cast out all fear. And so in order to do that, he sends his spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is with us to do that, to comfort us. And we're going to see five different ways that he's going to comfort us. Um, the first is that the spirit comforts us in our battle, and this is attaching it to, um, to what we covered last week. Second, the spirit comforts us in our doubt. Third, the spirit comforts us while we wait. And then the Spirit comforts us when we suffer. And then finally, the Spirit brings us Jesus' inheritance and makes it ours. So let's walk through this passage and see how all of this works out. So you need to be in Christ Jesus, first and foremost, to lay claim to any of this. And you might ask, why? Why is that true? Why is that so important? Why do we see Paul so many times in this chapter saying, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus? And it's, it's actually really simple, and it applies to the spirit of fear <laughs> that we have. And that is because all of us are going to go before God as judge, all of us. And so before we know God as Father, we have to know him as judge. And so if we know God as judge and we go before his throne and into his courtroom and we're alone, it's terrifying. And so in order to trust and know that you are in Christ Jesus, the first thing that you have to know is that you have to be convicted of your sin before him. You have to need Christ in order to know him in this way. And when you have that conviction, when you stand before a perfect God and understand I'm inadequate, I need something, then being in Christ makes all the sense in the world. Because you desire to hide your life in Christ. You desire for the judgment to go on him and for your judgment to come from his life and not your own. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so if that is you, 
then these promises are extended to you. And now the battle is we have to walk in them. If that's not you, there is an offer for you right now today to feel that, to feel the weight of your sin and to trust Jesus alone to hide your life in him and then to then know God as Father. So the Spirit is comforting us in our battle because we don't just have a change in us. That happens when we are in Christ. But first and foremost, there's a change of us. We are changed from being children of wrath to being children of God. And so that helps us in the midst of our battle because what we saw last week, as we are striving to put sin to death, as we are trying to um, wage war against our own flesh and the deeds of the body, there's going to be times where you get beat, where you fail, where you come up short. And so Paul points us to this wonderful promise that if you are led by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit in putting the sins or the, the deeds of the flesh to death, then you are children of God because it is the Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. So the Spirit comforts us in our battle. In verse 15, he picks up at the very heart of this passage is a comfort for us in doubt. The Spirit comforting us in doubt. So all of us, I don't care how long you have been walking with Christ, I don't care how mature you think you are, all of us have times where we slip back into relating to God out of fear. Where we forget that it's Christ at work in us, it's Christ who has purified us, it's Christ who has taken our punishment, and we start to relate to God just in our minds outside of Christ. And it puts us back into fear. And so Paul encourages us. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You are debtors not to the flesh. So you don't fear. No, instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. It's important that Paul says sons here. And it's important not to change that translation because you'll miss something that he's communicating. It's important not to say it's sons and daughters because in the culture in the Greco-Roman world and then also in the Hebrew-Israeli world, the inheritance was passed through the son. And so by saying that we are adopted as sons, what Paul's communicating is both men and women, children of God, are adopted as sons because they become heirs. We're going to talk about what that actually means. But here he introduces that just by saying that we are adopted as sons. And then as sons, part of our license, part of how we relate to God now, is that we cry, Abba, Father. That's our cry. Abba, Father. Abba is a name for God or a name for a dad that is very intimate and is very, um, it's very, it's very longing for a relationship. And so it's essentially like the best we can do is say, this is like daddy. 
This is like crying out, Daddy. It's intimate. It's presumptuous that we have a close and personal relationship with God. And that he is not a distant father. He's not father as maybe some of us have experienced fathers who, who just did not have great dads. Where dad was either absent or overbearing or strict. But no, this is, we now relate to God as a personal, warm, comforting father. And so as we're doing that, it's helping us in our doubt that God sees us not as someone who has, is deserving of wrath. God doesn't see us as someone who continues to mess up, continues to take him for granted, continues to wander astray. No, he sees us as his child. So in our doubts, in, the, in those moments of our doubt when um, you know, we have done the same old sin again, and it's like, how could God be patient with me? How could he remain patient? Maybe he forgives me, but he's probably doing it kind of begrudgingly and like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll forgive you again. What the spirit of adoption communicates to us is that, no, God longs for us to be with him now. And that he relates to us just as he relates to his, his perfect son, Jesus. The other way that the Spirit comforts us in the middle of our doubt is that we, um, we have our own spirit in us that is questioning this all the time. And so you see what in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so God could have done this a lot of different ways. He could have sent an angel to kind of help us understand that we are, that we are his children. He could have, um, you know, just provided the Bible to tell us that we are his children. Um, he could have just sent other people to tell us that we are his children. He could have done this a lot of ways, but how does he do it? He doesn't delegate this. The Spirit himself, God himself, comes to us and works to convince our spirits that we are children. So we have a natural tendency to question this, to reject it, or at least to doubt it. And the Spirit comforts us by convincing us, by bearing witness to our spirit and with our spirit that we are children of God. Third, the Spirit comforts us while we wait. So if we are children, Paul tells us, then we are heirs. And so being a child right now has implications for living life right now. It, gives, it should give us joy. It should give us confidence. It should give us boldness with our relationship with God. We should, we should feel his love and care and affection and not question it. But it also gives us a future, and it's a future that's filled with hope. It's a future that longs to inherit something. So we are heirs. And what are we heirs of? <laughs> this, this is where this, this verse gets just kind of unthinkable. Because Paul tells us that we are heirs of God. So we have to think for a minute of who God is. God is perfect. He's infinite. He's holy. He's good. He's loving. 
He's the creator of the entire universe. He is so beautiful that we can't even look at him. And we are heirs of him. He hasn't withheld a single thing from us. Isn't this hard to believe? Isn't this frustrating? Because in, you know, the, the normalcy of life and the rhythms of life, I start whining. <laughs> and I complain. And I look at all the things that I don't have, the job that I didn't get, or the, you know, the, the plans that didn't go how I wanted them to go. And I'm just like, man, there's something better, and I'm just kind of missing out. And so I feel that frustration with you guys, <laughs> that this is almost, this is like, how can this be true? And yet that is what the Spirit is wanting us to do. The Spirit is saying, wait for this with patience, because this is your inheritance. You are heirs of God, and to help us even see that in more um, clear vision, we are fellow heirs with Christ. So we, we have at least Scripture's testimony of what Jesus inherited after he resurrected. He walked the earth for about 40 days, and then he rose to the right hand of God. What's he doing at the right hand? He is ruling over the nations. He's ruling the universe. And God has given him all authority on heaven and earth. We are fellow heirs with him. That means that is our inheritance. And it's not because we're great. Our lives, you know, show us that that's not the case. But the Spirit is telling us to wait for our inheritance, which is Christ's. It's Jesus's earned inheritance that so counterintuitively he shares with us. And so this is starting to get cosmic in scope. And it gets even more so as the chapter continues to unfold. But the Spirit comforts us as we are waiting. So after this, we, we see how the Spirit then comforts us as we suffer. Now, this is like whiplash, because we just got kind of like plunged into the heavenly realm of understanding that we are going to inherit the glory of Christ, and now we're put right back onto the earth. He says, yeah, provided you suffer with him. And so this is, um, this is a beautiful thing about the Bible, is that the Bible is not idealistic. The Bible does not um, try to sugarcoat real life, but the Bible is earthy, and it's gritty, and it knows how the world works. And God sees that, and his word communicates to us in the midst of that. So we, we understand suffering is part of this world. And so you are going to suffer if you are alive. You're just going to suffer to varying degrees, and different people suffer in different ways, but you will suffer. There's two different ways to suffer, essentially. You can suffer without Christ, or as a child, you suffer with him. How does this comfort us? Well, if we are suffering with Christ, 
First of all, we're not alone ever in our suffering. And so no matter how painful, how hard it is, Christ is with you. And suffering to Jesus is not abstract. In his life and death, he suffered to extents that we can't imagine. He suffered torture. He suffered abandonment from all of his friends. He suffered both physical and spiritual torment leading up to and including his death. And we see this picture of Jesus going from the courtroom into the living room in his very last act. So Jesus, as he's on the cross, enduring the wrath of God for us. This is why Paul says that God has condemned sin in the flesh. That happened when Jesus was crucified. God the Father condemned our sin in the flesh of Christ. As that is happening, Jesus is facing the judgment of God for our sin, and he's alone. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? But it doesn't stop there. Those are not Jesus' final words. He, in his suffering, was able to enter into the living room and show us what that looks like. After enduring that, his final words, Father, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus passed through suffering into deep communion and fellowship with his Father. He committed his life, his spirit, to God the Father in a way that he hadn't before because he was incarnate and he had to really trust his flesh with God the Father. And he did that. And so this is the, the spirit is the spirit of the Christ who suffered in that way, brought us from the courtroom into the living room so that we know that we are God's children. So suffering counterintuitively will actually solidify your identity as a child of God. Now, that doesn't mean you, like, go seek it out. But as you suffer, the Spirit will comfort you in that way and will create intimacy and fellowship with God in a new way. And then finally, we see that our suffering is not without purpose. The purpose of our suffering, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our suffering is temporary, there's a timestamp on it. It will end. No matter how long you've been suffering, no matter how much you suffer, it will come to an end. But being glorified with Christ is eternal. It's everlasting. And so this is, you see the present hope that we have in suffering with Christ, Christ being with us in our suffering. And now you see the future joy that we are going to be glorified with him, that we receive bodies made new, that we will be done with the battle of sin, that we'll be done suffering, and that we will know God without any varnish. We're just going to receive God. 
And so this is kind of boiling down this first section in Romans 8 to a close. And it's showing us all of the personal implications of being in Christ. And it's essentially this, right? He takes us from the courtroom to the living room, and we're his children. Now, we can't stop there because it gets even better. (laughs) It shows us that our personal redemption doesn't stop, but it actually starts to have ripple effects and participate in the redemption of the entire cosmos. And so that is next week. But here is what I want you to take away from from this passage is that all of us in the midst of fighting that tendency to fall back into a spirit of fear, that the antidote to that is pushing back into your identity as a child. And that is a privilege that not every person gets, tragically. But it is something for all of you who are in Christ, you have to claim. And the Spirit is going to help you claim that in so many different ways. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for all of these promises and for not only just giving us promises, but fulfilling and being true to your word. God, this is, not, um, this is not guessing about who we are. This is not hoping about who we are. But we are receiving your very own proclamation about us. That we, a group of undeserving, inadequate, insufficient, selfish people, <laughs> we have been redeemed and we have been made to be your children. God, we thank you that you have been so personally involved in that work that you, as Father, have planned our redemption, that you long for it, that you are the Father of mercies towards us, and you sent your Son to accomplish, to win us over, Lord, that you have sent your Son for us so that we can be found in him and that our sins are put to death in him and that we can trust in him. And Lord, you and you and your son have sent and given us your spirit to be with us, to indwell us, to confirm and make all of these things come to life within us. And God, I pray for all of us that we would just be soaked in your spirit that we would not resist it, that we would not grieve the spirit by continuing to fall back into a spirit of fear and slavery, but that we would truly learn to walk as your children. Lord, help us to treat each other as fellow heirs, as fellow children. God, help us believe these words. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.